0: Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education, a podcast that focuses on what is happening in education today. Connecting everyone to the movers and shakers that are breaking boundaries in the education arena.
1: Well, welcome everyone. You know, we always talk about those silver linings of COVID and I think that um, mental well-being, uh, wellness is definitely part of those. I mean, I remember taking, you know, pre-pandemic, um, or even like, even like when I was teaching so long ago, I remember taking some days where I just needed a break, but kind of like, didn't want to talk about it. Kind of like kept it to myself, you know, but I feel like now we feel entitled to those days that we, we are, we know that we are deserving of them. Sometimes we don't put it at the top of the priority list like we should. But it's not down here anymore. I think it might be up here. I think we're getting there. But do you feel the same, Jerry?
0: Yes. And I'm glad that people can now talk about it. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. um, I remember that too, just telling myself, I need a mental health lay on the couch and watch Lucy rerun stay.
1: <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Laugh out loud stuff. Yes. Yeah.
0: And just not really think about things, right? But um, but I wouldn't ever tell anyone that yeah. because yeah. Yeah. you know, of the stigma. Of like, what's wrong with you? Suck it up. You can do this. Get in there. Yeah. And and I I think COVID really has opened that aperture for us to see that people are hurting and it's okay to ask for a mental health day or a day off. And more importantly, it's important to ask for help.
1: Yeah. So yes. Well, our, you know, our guest today has been doing this for years, but I think has, Kind yes. of, um, I think people are seeing the light now um, with the work that she's been doing, um, but um, Alicia's been doing this for a while. I'm excited to have her today.
2: I'm yes. so excited to be here.
0: Oh, and we met you in New York City. You were our keynote speaker for our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Summit, and you really captivated the room. You just, I felt like you moved people forward. You could have heard a pin drop in the room at times. At times there was laughter in the room. It was, I always think a good speaker captures all emotions, a little tear, a little laugh, a little silence, and you certainly did all that. And so we're so happy to have you here today to talk to us about wellness and a word that you use a lot, mattering.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you so much for that, Jerry and Jamie, you know, for the invitation to that event, which was so incredible with leaders in the room and really just opening up the space and creating the space to have those brave conversations Uh, it, you know, it's just little by little, right? Like we might not see like the huge impact that we have in our hearts and minds to, to have in those moments, but those little small moments are those impactful experiences that change people that shift people that transform them. And then the work kind of ripples out from there. So I felt that I felt that, uh, in that day. So it was a wonderful day to be with you all. Yeah, we
0: could feel it too. We definitely felt it too. What is this mattering that you speak of?
2: Yeah, so, you know, when I think about, like, the work that we did uh, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, when we had that call, that prep call, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, this belonging piece, the B, the D-E-I-B that was added to the conversation. And it's so important, you know, it's so important that there is that sense of belonging, but I think that there's another layer underneath the, you know, we peel back those layers of the onion, and I think there's another layer beyond belonging. And so, the way that I think about it is you know, we we talk about inclusion, right? And inclusion has to happen with intention, right? So like in the scope of DEIB, diversity doesn't equal inclusion. Diversity is just the presence of differences. Inclusion is intentionally like accepting and celebrating those differences, right? So diversity doesn't equal inclusion. Now we move from inclusion to belonging and you think, well, inclusion doesn't really equal belonging either because I could try to be inclusive and unintentionally... People can leave and not feel like they belong, right? I could miss the mark. My intention might not match my impact, so I could be intentionally inclusive, but yet still miss the mark. And I, I shared a story there to, you know, uh, bring that to life in 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 the, at the conference. But then we go belonging. If that's this sense that I fit, I belong, like this sense of fitting and belonging and connection, I could fit and belong, but I might not feel like I matter.
1: Mm, Oh my gosh.
2: Yeah. So belonging doesn't equal mattering. And oftentimes it gets put together, like just how we put like DEIB together. It's just like all this thing together, but they are actually very different, unique. And when it comes to mattering, mattering is unique against all others, like self-esteem. That's not mattering, right? Belonging is not mattering. That's about connection. Belonging is about significance. And I cared for, will people miss me if I'm not here? So it goes way beyond belonging um, and mattering is aligned with all indicators of our mental health and well-being. In fact, you know, if we think about our experience of mattering, I think almost every single human being I have either been on the therapeutic journey with as a therapist or as a teacher, uh, it all came down to this. like, Do I matter? does this work even matter? And I think a lot of teachers are asking that question right now. A lot of people in the workplace are asking, does this even matter? And so there's this sense of like, does it matter? Does the work matter? Do I matter? And then like, am I valued? But can I offer value here? What value am I contributing? And so in in that sense, like, mattering is this double-edged sword, because they're also mattering and not mattering are not the same or opposite polar opposites on the same continuum, like, if you matter, you know it, right? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, I matter here, like a high level of mattering. If you don't matter, you know that too. Right, right. And when you don't matter, or this sense of uh, Gordon Flett, he introduced this concept of anti-mattering, where people, you feel like people are actively working against you mattering in the world. Right. And so we see that in lots of places, marginalized folks across society, right? Like so many anti-LGBTQ bills out there right now. Like this sense of like people are actively working toward me not mattering in the world. And when that happens, you know, when that happens, that's that's a matter of, you know, I'm not only going to burn myself down, but I'm going to burn everyone around me down. Right. Right. There's a uh, there's a proverb, an African proverb, and it says, the child not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its heat, mm. or its warmth. The child not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. And I think when we see young people or adults, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, right? Like young people or adults acting in these ways that are just like illogical and divisive, like we have to think about, where, do, where does this person feel like they matter in the world?
1: Right. Well, look at the root cause, right? So what is the root cause? Like, why is this happening? There's a reason this is happening. And it all comes down to Maslow uh, in the end, I guess, too. But I feel like you are totally right. Like, that's why in some, some cases we see, um, and absolutely adults. Um, but if we're talking about the classroom, we're looking at students who might be um, you know, misbehaving. Why, why are they doing this? Why are they, um, it's almost like they're self-sabotaging, but they want to feel that warmth. Yeah.
2: And do We'll do anything as human beings. I mean, we'll do anything to feel that warmth. We'll do anything to feel that connection. Even if it's, you know, not, you know, even if it's, it's behaviors that are harmful and destructive. And that's oftentimes where we see that destructive and harmful behavior.
0: Alicia, this is reminding me um, of all of the cases that we hear in these mass killings. You almost always hear something about this mattering piece. Um, oh yeah, the, the person didn't feel like they mattered, or you know, they didn't have friends, or or whatever. And so this really kind of brings that up as well.
2: It sure does. And I and I think about that. You know, all of the uh, the the school shooting stories we've heard. I can't help but think what happened in that experience at that school that had that person come back and want to cause such you know devastating harm. And it it always comes back to that. If you feel like you matter someplace, you don't come back and shoot the place up. And it's often like kind of there's a misconception that this is always about mental health right like that this is like oh there's this overarching mental health problem there's a battering problem in our worlds you know that contributes to yes mental yeah
0: I like this new twist you're putting on it because it's really pushing my thinking
2: yes So. Okay. yes
1: so it's, it's d-e-i-b-m, D-E-I-B-M.
2: <laughs> yeah. we're still
1: keep adding on
2: just keep adding on the letters right but I think it's You know, it's our evolution of understanding and experience that like leads us to deeper thinking and deeper exploration. So yeah, I mean, if we if it always if it just ends at like this DEI, right? Or then D E I B, it's like, well, what else is there? It kind of stops that curiosity of like, hey, where else, you know, what 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 else is here? What's the deeper meaning? And I'm an existentialist at heart, so it's always about what's the deeper meaning, what's the you know, right?
0: Yes. Well how can we create spaces, places, schools where people do feel they matter? Or can oh we create goodness. those spaces?
2: Absolutely, 100% we can. And so the thing about like, the toxic stress and the levels of trauma that people are experiencing, I think that feels overwhelming sometimes to think well, what would we do about it. But when we talk about, you know, this like low-hanging fruit, it excites people to say like, "Oh, I can make a difference. Like I could do something about this." And it's to me it's in these everyday moments of interaction and engagement where mattering is our mission, you know? If I yeah. if I show up into this this podcast and I and I say, "You know, it's my mission to make this you feel like you matter, right? And the work that you're doing here in this podcast is valuable." Well, then that's an intentionality that I bring to this and every situation I can engage people in that way. And I think it's small acts. It's really like these small acts of kindness, not to like minimize it, but it is about really caring and, and the collective care of each other and seeing that like when, when we have this collective care of each other, then it gives me the foundation to care for myself. Right. So So self-care doesn't feel like a burden on people's shoulders to address a toxic system, a broken system, it, it it really is about we've created a culture of caring for each other that gives me now a platform and a foundation to prioritize myself too. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I feel like also when. It's that mask that you put on um, on the plane. Right. You got to put the uh, whatever that thing is called on first. Right. And so when you're always also when you're always trying to care for others, then you're not considering yourself. But when you have the support of this village, of the community, right, then you have uh, a little bit more power to do that for not just others, but also yourself as well. And it's symbiotic, right? The more that you are caring for yourself, the more the better you can care for others and what matters.
2: Yeah, and like mattering, not only the person who's on the receiving end of this care and intentional acts, but the person who's giving that also gets the benefit. There's we want to naturally care for each other. We get a lift, you know, by taking care of others. That's just how we are built as human beings. So there's a that that reciprocity there. But I love that concept of the mask. Right. Because I talk about this when I talk to educators about and, and you know, folks in the workplace about their well-being. And uh, I, I say, you know, I want to, like, just clear up some things about that mask, because when that mask comes out of the ceiling, like the I don't know if we're allowed to curse on here, but like that, that stuff is going down, you know, like we are going down. So the time to put your (laughs) the time to put the mask on is not only in those emergent situations, the time to put the mask on is every single day so that we have like built this this well. Of, of well-being. We don't have to just put it on in the extreme cases because, you know, it's like if you ever be, have been through a hard time and someone tells you like, oh, just breathe, like not now, like <laughs> not right now. Don't tell me that now. So building that well of practices that is almost in memory, like, oh, now I can just, you know, it's in my pocket. I could just grab that tool and I know how to use it already. Uh, and that part of is- that, toolkit. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so just like,
1: well, just like the breathing too, because a lot of times we do, we do, you know, we'll try to do breathing exercises. We'll try to do meditation, but it's not meant to do it in that singular moment. It's meant to take that as a strategy that you can use in the real world, right? It's not like it's isolated thing. You're doing it in isolation, but you need to build those skills, right? To be able to use them When you need them, so I guess that's that's part of that that concept there. So you always are you're you're building, you're growing.
0: You talk about the LGBTQ community, and I can't think of a group that has been more targeted to not matter than our transgender students. And I wonder what can educators do in school to help them know that they do matter, even when there's legislation out there to say that they don't
2: yeah you know thank you for bringing this conversation to light and you know in 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 our in our culture our our queer bipoc trans folks are the most targeted right so like that additional multiple marginal identities um, is is you know where we see the most vulnerability and the most targeted violence towards um, and, and when we think about in schools, what we can do is really, you know, I, I don't want anyone to think that they have to be perfect. Right. But letting kids know, like our trans kids, especially like letting them know that, hey, this is a transition for me, too. Right. And like so you might make a mistake. What I want educators to hear is that um it goes a longer way to let kids know you see them and that you're trying than to fear taking that step towards acceptance and inclusion because you think you're going to mess up, right? So it's like, yeah, so this kiddo is using different pronouns now. You're going to screw up, but don't let that stand in the way of you showing up celebrating and, and honoring their identity, even if you don't understand, right. Even if you don't understand. And so, so I, I, I always let educators know it's okay to mess up and it's okay to like use the wrong pronoun and just say, Oh, you know what? I messed up that time and I'm working on it. And like, as a therapist, like working with kiddos um, who are are transgender, you know, they'll say like, yeah, my my teacher, you know, might mess up once in a while, but they, I know they care about me. Right. And so like, um, yes. Yeah. I think like not, not worrying about getting it perfect, but doing your own work too, you know, like not relying on the kiddos themselves to have to educate you on their identities and also saying like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not so sure I'm going to, I'm going to learn more and, you know, I'm going to get back to you or, you know, just letting them know that you're in it with them. I think that is, so huge. But then beyond that, like advocating. And I've heard, unfortunately, lots of stories where new teachers, especially younger teachers, who are really advocating for their trans students. And then unfortunately, despite our mandates and despite our inclusive curriculums, you know they're being told to take down bulletin boards with, uh, right. trans ki- you know, trans identities on the bulletin boards, and so the educators feel torn too. That I want to support young kids, I want to support my students, and I'm also getting pressure in some spaces when I do do that to so not. You know, so it's conflicting for educators. But um, here's the thing: we know that using pronouns and creating inclusive spaces decreases suicides that's low-hanging fruit every single one of us can use pronouns that that children share with us and can create more inclusive classrooms and if that decreases suicide well we better make sure that we're doing those two things
1: yes absolutely jerry your daughter who's a guidance counselor had um, a statistic that we've shared before um, yes. I think it was something, I don't know. If even just one single person was there as an ally in support, um, what was the percentage of?
0: It was, oh, of it was amazing. Suicides
1: how, that go down. Right. That? right. It was like um, 70% or it was,
0: something. It was really high. What a difference you can
1: make. What a difference in simple, right? I know. And that's something I don't do. And I don't know why I just haven't done it. I need to use my pronouns. That's something, I think it's simple. It's very simple to do, but showing that I'm, I'm with you, I'm supporting you, um, you know, working as an ally. That's something that I should do and I haven't. Um, but I think what you all are also saying, Alicia, is fear is dangerous fear can be very, very dangerous. Um, It's, it's dangerous, obviously, for your own growth mindset, but it's also very, very dangerous for the person who may be misinterpreting um, your fear, right? Your fear, it could, it could be genuine. It could mean that, you know, you just don't know, and you don't know how to respond or react. Um, But it could also, it also, in many cases, as we know, with some of this legislation is, well, that's not like me. So that's, I don't, I don't understand that. That's not normal. That's not, you know, so we're going to, we're going to nix that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that fear can be really hard for sure.
2: I have, I have a, I have a personal story. Uh, I, I, it just feels like it's a spot to, to share it about, you know, this, this intersection of um mattering and, and fear at this in the same, uh, same vein. So you know, I feel like I had an unfair advantage in life in the sense that I had two parents that loved each other. They were high school sweethearts and they loved me and my sisters. I'm the youngest of three. So, you know, they probably loved me a little bit more because I was the baby. Mm-hmm, yeah, baby. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so, you know, I had I, I feel like I have an unfair advantage in the sense that my whole life I felt really cared about. I felt like I really mattered. I really mattered to my family. That followed me into um, school. I have relationships with my teachers from third grade, from eighth grade. I still get to see and take to lunch every once in a while. Um, I mattered at school. I, I mattered in so many places uh, and, and felt that my whole life. And I feel that like that is an unfair advantage because when you don't have that, right, when you don't have that support of family or, or uh, where you're in a school where you feel like you're just a number or something like that, right? And so, you know, when we think about mattering, mattering also changes over our lifetime, right? Depending on where we are, we could matter at school, but not matter at home, right? So when we think about our LGBTQ kids, like they could be supported at school as the number one place where they feel supported and seen and mattered. And then at home, it could be a totally different experience, right? And so for me, like I said, I feel like I had this unfair advantage. I mattered in my whole life, I felt. Um, And then when I came out, I was like 18 or 19 years old when I came out. And I had said to myself, I will I will come out, I you know, at the time, if my mother asks me, I'll tell her the truth. That that was kind of my thing. Like I'll be authentic as she, if she asks.
1: So <laughs> this was high school.
2: This was I was 19, I was in college. Yes, I was in college. And so uh friends of mine had like uh, rainbow stickers on the back of their car. So my mother she was like super curious and, you know, very witty. And so she said, so um, why are all your friends gay? And I said, you know, uh, I was a little bit of a wise person too. So I was like, well, that's just who they are as you know. And so, but I could feel like bubbling up inside of me, this, this fear of like stepping into my truth. And if, if, if it was going to change how much I mattered to my mother. I could remember this moment. And so the very next question that my mother asked was, well, does that mean you're gay? And then all of a sudden I stiffened up and I, you know, I I just, this was that moment. And it was time I could feel like even my fingers were like tingling, went a little numb uh, for the fear of this exposure of my true self. And so I said two words, I am well, f- actually, first I said because because <laughs> this didn't go over so well. I said, "Well, just because my friends are gay doesn't mean I'm gay." <laughs> oh, okay, my mother wasn't so happy with my response. There, but then I said, "But I am." And my experience coming out was very difficult. My mom did not take the that information very well. I was shocked by it because, like I said, I, I mean, she just was. You incredible. thought she would
0: take it better.
2: I did. I did, and um what was coincidentally happening for her was that she was, had recently been diagnosed with cancer. And so my mother's fear really stood in the way of her being able to um, show up for me in that moment. Because what I realized later was that it was her fear that she might not be in the world with me in a world where in the nineties, right? HIV at the height, like all these things, I was gonna be in this world alone as a gay person right? And so I think she was so fearful of that, that it was destructive and, and it was hurtful and it was harmful despite a life of mattering to my mother. And in that instant, all of a sudden my mattering went out the window. Mm-hmm. And I thought because of this one thing, all of a sudden I don't matter anymore. My mother can't see me anymore. And and it was, you know, I I don't think that I ever had the capacity to do harm to myself in the lens of suicide. But I remember after that, after coming out, I was driving my car around for hours and I parked under a tree and I just wished that the tree would have fallen on top of the car. I just wished to not be alive anymore. That was the only time in my life that I felt that way. Fortunately, no trees were just randomly popping out of the earth that day. And so I lived to, I lived to see it through. But what, what changed mattering for me again, was that as my mother was dying she died a few years later. As my mother was dying, um, roles change. You know, if you've ever experienced the death of a loved one, your roles change. And so my older sister quit her job and she uh, took care of my mother full-time as her caregiver. My dad worked. My middle sister, she would come over and do the housework and clean and cook. And then I would come home, remember I was the baby. I would come home at four o'clock after my first year of teaching And I would lay in bed with my mother and I would rub lotion on her feet. We would watch Oprah and her skin was peeling from the chemo. And I would, I would rub the lotion on her. And just a few weeks before she died, she, before she went into the hospital, she whispered to me and she said, she didn't have a lot of energy, but she said, um, don't tell your sisters, but you're the only one I want to lay here with me. And so in an instant, my mattering, was was reinforced you know the story could be so different if that moment didn't happen where she left this earth and there was this thing that i shared with her that was like the one time in our relationship where um we were we were we were you know like kind of torn between each other and and then that that statement and it was like changed everything. so much to her you know i asking yes. her and so i think it's so important the influence that an adult, an educator can have in a, any young kid's life, right? But specifically talking about our LGBTQ youth. Um, so just let them know that they matter, their life matters. And that that's one part of their identity, which is a huge part of your identity when you are a part of the LGBTQ community, But there's so many other things. They are not those statistics of suicide. They are filled with joy and potential. My mother could have never imagined the influence I would have on the world as a gay person when I came out to her in the 90s. Right, right, right. So for educators and parents, whoever's listening to this podcast, I'm sure you have more than one role in your life, right, is to know that people are more than these one singular parts of their identities, and they are filled with potential and possibility. And in many ways, those things are where their resilience builds and their strengths build, and they get to contribute to the world. There's nobody I know in the world that is of influence that is not influencing a space that originated in pain. There is not one influential person that I know in the world that has not used pain or tragedy or, uh, you know, challenges and obstacles to be the catalyst for their influence in the world. So it's so
1: true. It's so true. Gosh. And you know what? Just like Jerry said, a great speaker is bringing out all emotions. We laughed. I'm crying now. I mean, yeah, you know, come on. <laughs> oh, my I mean, you asked me to bring my full self to the table. <laughs> That's what you get. Right. That's right. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Like, I mean, it really, uh, it, it, it's, it's really simple. I guess it's, it's really just so simple. People matter. And when you do even small things, they can be an avalanche to small negative things to um, take away someone's feeling that they matter. It can be a terrible, terrible avalanche. And, um, and the problem is that some people don't care. Some people don't realize they're doing it. Um, but I you know, I think the importance is to make all everyone aware, everyone aware, make sure that everyone understands that mattering matters, mattering matters. Um, what is it? I know you've started a new initiative and I want you to, to explain it a little bit because I think it helps to bring about this importance of not only wellness, but also mattering, mattering for oneself. That others mattering as well. How, how? What are you doing? What is this initiative?
2: Yeah. So, um, so the the initiative that you're you're talking about is uh, the wellness community. And so, what happened during the pandemic is um, I, I had stepped out of my traditional role in education around 2018, and then you know shortly after this pandemic hits, right? And so um, I was consulting with schools and doing work around SEL. And then when the pandemic hit, I, I am a licensed therapist and I've also done, you know, over two decades of work in the DEI B M space <laughs> and, uh, and so schools started to ask really about that mental health component, where before the pandemic, people were asking like, well, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to address mental health? Why do we need to address SEL? And then after the pandemic, people were like, how do I do it? You know, just give me the magic wand. But, but one of the things beyond, you know, the diversity stuff and the equity stuff and the um, mental health like or, or the SEL was administrators, superintendents, supervisors, uh, curriculum directors. um, They were asking for, our staff is hurting. Our staff is not well. And we really want to take care of them. And they felt like no matter what they did, they were falling short or that they just didn't have the tools or quite honestly, the the, curiosity, not the curiosity, but the creativity to create something really comprehensive for educators to be able to lean on through these difficult times. I mean, they were also challenged as administrators. They weren't, um, you know, immune to the impacts of this pandemic. Right. And so I had a, a, a referral uh, to do some work in the corporate space. And um, it was a workplace wellness initiative, uh, a summit. And I was their keynote speaker. And I started to do my research in the workplace Because I, you know, had always worked in education and I started to wonder, like, why isn't there anything accessible to educators like they have in corporate where there are workplace wellness, like plans and programs and initiatives that you don't have to go through your HR to get to, or you don't have to like tap into your benefits because half of us don't even really know what our benefits include. right? Uh, and so like, how can we get something that's really impactful, really transformational in the hands of people at all times, whenever they need it. And so I created a wellness platform and that platform consists of uh, lots of opportunities for educators, uh, across the state, but beyond New Jersey to come together on a site where they are supported, where they feel like they are within like, right. That community sense that like, I'm not in this alone. Um, so there's a couple different key components to this community. One is, uh, every Monday I drop a 20 minute wellness session, a topic, uh, for them to watch on replay and they can ac- access it whenever they want to, um, They also have at the end of the month a a wellness challenge so people can jump onto that challenge at the end of the month and really start to build those habits and apply those habits that they've learned over the month to their life, put them in action and try them out in this like five-day challenge. Um, And we were going live for a little while, but we did a survey and folks were saying it's really hard to get there live. But you know we would we would watch on replay. So we were doing some community coaching, so people could come online and just get some coaching in real time from me. And of course, it's not therapy. I am a therapist, but it's not therapy. Um, and so, the place that surprised me, but it shouldn't have surprised me, that is most active on the community is a library of wellness habits. So there's recorded uh, breath breathing practices. There's recording med- recorded meditations. There's Recorded visualizations, and then I started to um, like call on people who are in the education space that also love these wellness practices, and they we recorded them. So we had a a, a principal's uh, assistant uh, do a session, a Zumba session. She's a Zumba teacher in a Monmouth County school. We had a uh, teacher's aide in an autism program who has a side business of a fitness coach, but through a trauma-informed lens, she did a session for us. Uh, We did Qigong on there. And so what's happening is where educators are not coming to the large discussion area to talk because educators are a little guarded. You know, they've they've been beaten down a bit. So they are reluctant to like put their full selves out there in front of their peers even, unfortunately. And so, but what they're doing is they're going into the wellness practices in between classes, and then they're posting how much this helped me, uh, around the holidays where I just felt like I couldn't even take a deep breath. And then I jumped in and did this two minute breathing practice. And, and so there's so much activity in this one area that I, I didn't see coming. I didn't expect that they would be active there, but, um, but yeah, you know, for me, I've always been a systems change person. So it's like, what can I do to shift it? form this system for the better, and I think this is my contribution.
0: Well, Alicia, is this only for New Jersey educators or
2: this side? No, no, not at all. It's accessible to any educator, and it is specific to educators right now, the, the community, uh, so it's only educators or school leaders, but it's open to uh, anybody uh, that is in the education field, and that includes the secretaries and the uh, custodians, and, the, you know, all the people that contribute to, uh, you know, kids excelling socially and academically in a school setting. So, sure. uh, yeah. Open and
0: how do they, they get to all these resources?
2: yes yeah, I so, can't wait
0: to check them out.
2: Oh, thanks so much. Um, so generally what happens right now is a school administrator will say, you know, hey, I heard about this and uh, want to know more. And so they'll uh, put in uh, a request and we'll get on a call and we'll talk about how many folks they have, what have they done so far to support it? Because it's, you know, this is not just like one of those things that you just say like, oh, we checked the box. we We got this thing for our folks, but we didn't really like create the culture around it. So we do that call. And then they buy uh, a package for access for all of their employees. So my thing was, I, I don't wanna make a dollar on the backs of teachers. I want to make sure that the resources are within the system. And so uh, so the schools buy the, the package of um, access for their staff members. And then they wrap like the excitement on the ground in the school building around it and uh, and and build it up from there. Although we do have an opportunity for people to to join in as a membership as an individual. So if people, you know, are part of school systems that have not bought into this idea or um, offered it to their community, they can come in as a subscription uh, level individually. But I do not have one person in a school right now that is at the subscription level because I think it's important that it's accessible to all educators. So. So, yeah, that's the way that folks get in. So if there are school leaders listening And that's something that they are interested in. My suggestion is like, we talk about how this becomes a cultural shift, not just like a one-off thing that we buy, you know, people don't access. So
1: yeah, the culture is what's so important that have building this as a culture so that, um, you know, and, and it also shows that administrative, the administrative team feels that each individual teacher matters. And when teachers are able to, as we talked about before, help themselves through this this culture of wellness that you've built, this community, um, they are right there for their kids and able to to help their families, right? Because as you mentioned, everyone plays a different role, themselves, their families, but also ultimately we want to be supporting our students in the best possible way in the best ourselves we can be.
2: Yeah. I think the best way forward from this space is through the like collective efficacy of um, you know, us as a whole, whether that be in a school or society. but but also looking at, um, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, beyond like the 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 collective efficacy, it's like, That this isn't something that teachers have to just like find the extra time to do now. It also requires like, you know, taking some things uh, away and saying we're going to make space for this because the schools that have had the best uh, participation in the wellness community, they have carved out time for people, you know, to make sure this is your time for wellness. You can go on the app, you can, you know, you can take a walk around the building, but this is, it's carved out, it's intentional for them. So really like that collective efficacy, but not feeling like it's one more thing on teacher's shoulders.
0: Right. Yes. That's critical.
2: And there's so many educators that will say like when, you know, oftentimes my first point of entry into a school is through like a keynote or something like that. And, right. Um, I think that's a great setup for the community because it's like let's bring them together, let's have them feel that energy, and then say here's how you can ongoingly, you know, w- get this support. But um, you know, I I I don't think that those one off keynotes, or I mean, as much as they are wonderful in the moment and people leave feeling really impactful, a month or two or three later that feeling has gone. And then what happens, right? And so people know that those one-offs are, are just kind of, um, you know, like the things that that we do in education. We're like, oh, here's a wellness day. And I, and I know that that's just some people trying, they're just trying everything they can, but it has to go beyond a one-day workshop, right? Where, it, you know, it's gone. And, and so many people will say, like you said, it doesn't just impact me at work. When I go home after a long day of work, My kids get the worst part of me and they feel guilty about that. And so how do we like help people not only develop their professional development, but I think our only way through this beyond self-efficacy is that personal development for people. We have not centered that in education. Our pre-service has not centered that. And if we're asking people to be in position to lead and influence, well, we have got to work on their personal development, their habits, their mindsets as much as we do the content that they teach.
1: So that's a good point. You know, we think about, just as you said, when we do professional uh, development, we know that the best professional development is not that, which is the one-off, or I used to call it a drive-by, but I'm trying not to use violent terms anymore. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, you know, just kind of like, you know, just one and done, in and out, you know. uh, You know, whenever I used to do those, I thought, oh gosh, okay. Uh, fine, I'll do that. But you kind of go in, you do this thing, and everyone gets excited. And you're like, "Okay, good luck, bye-bye." And then, you know, are they going to do it again? I have no idea. But when I go into schools for an entire year or three years or whatever, you know, they first of all, teachers know that it's it matters, right? They know it matters. They know there's there's an investment there, um, and they they care to to grow in that way. And I like now you're calling this personal development, right? It's the same idea. So if the school is going to invest in this, they are saying you matter, you matter. And so we're investing in you. So I, and it's on, you know, it's something that is not that one and done. It's ongoing yeah
2: That's right it's it, it it moves from feeling like uh, oh this wellness day is a is a platitude right like just something that i'm you know going to say to you as like i know it's important but you know i'm not going to invest too much in it but by by the schools purchasing the um like the, the package for em- employers and um, i'm sorry employees to have access they are saying, I'm putting the investment behind it too. I'm putting resources behind it. I'm making time for this to be important to you. And and that translates to, okay, you see that we need beyond, you know, a wellness day or a a workshop, that we need something more. And and so um, I feel strongly, I feel strongly. In fact, uh, of all the things that I offer, I have narrowed down the scope to say, these are the things that'll make the biggest impact and these are the things that i'm offering and it is all centered around the well-being of the adults that are taking care of of kids in our schools
0: yes yes so critical and and i think post pandemic it's been even harder for our our teachers and our staff to continue taking care of the kids and taking care of themselves so this is this is quite um an offering that you're giving to schools and I love that you build a community around it because people can feel connected.
1: And you have different components to it so that people can um engage in the portions that you offer in here where they feel most comfortable. Um so you have lots of different um opportunities in there different different styles of of learning there. So that's yeah.
2: And I think the next iteration of this for me is looking at okay what I'm always looking at what makes the b- bigger impact from here. Now how do we take it to the next level? Is you know in 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 academics you know we we believe in a coaching model. A lot of us believe in a coach model around academics and I think that's the next iteration for this community that's being built out for next year is a coaching model where now we can bring cohorts of people together and do a deeper dive right so some of our most active folks in the community will do a beta round with them and see how it feels if you know it what what changed for them and then roll that out next year and say you know really that that everybody needs a good coach like the people who you know like if you've ever been influenced by someone in your life they probably coached you along the way and 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 showed you you know new ways of thinking and 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 behaving and acting and so um i think a coaching model but starting with a coaching model for leaders because let's not forget like the difficulty that that they are experiencing right now as well you know just being a leader where people look to you for answers and being in a time with so much uncertainty and holding tension between schools that used to be and the schools that have not been created yet, and you know, not necessarily having a playbook for that. And so um, I think I think school leaders are in a really difficult place as well. My wife is a school leader and I know the difficulties that she comes home with. So a coaching model that helps support um, leadership as well through this.
0: Sure. And I also think that anytime you have a coach, it brings along the accountability because sure. I never want to let the coach down. <laughs> so I really dig in deeper and, and more accountable to myself and my coach. And it, it makes a
1: difference. Absolutely. We're all better in a network and a community or a community. So it, it definitely, definitely helps. and part of your community, part of your circle is, um, uh, Jerry, our friends from Conscious Kids, right? So Rodney and Michael. Yes. So I've learned about oh. them through you and you through that. And so because you all started, you started teaching together, right? You and um, Rodney did?
2: Yeah. So Rodney was a youth development specialist at our school-based youth services program in Asbury. And I was a teacher at the time or maybe i was uh, a counselor i'm not sure at which point we connected with each other but um we started to connect with each other and we actually started to be- meet with each other in secret because we were not allowed to do this work in schools we were told no you can't talk about trauma no you can't do yoga no you can't do meditation and we're talking about like over a decade ago right so this like when you said, you, I've been doing this for a long time. People might see the emergence of these things currently and recently, but that is ten years of knocking on this door, saying there's another way to do this. And finally, like silver lining of the pandemic was this openness to wow, there's got to be a different way. So yeah, Rodney and I would meet in private, secret kind of these meetings to say like, okay, how could we, you know, how could we do this? How could we? You know, just thinking, and then we started just working in small groups of kids. And eventually that turned into a a pilot at the high school. And from that pilot, there was a reduction in discipline by over 60%. Those kiddos that participated in uh, working with us and us working with their teachers were never again on the radar for discipline again. Um, But we also saw that academics improved. So in classrooms where teachers were taking on with fidelity, introducing the, the practices of you know, breath work before tests or things like that um, and being intentional about that relationship with those kiddos, they saw three years of growth in one year academically. And so um, that turned into a district-wide initiative where we created wellness rooms in every single building and wellness rooms for adults. Um, I mean, it was ve- there were so many layers to it. Um, really comprehensive, a, a, a shift in policy, discipline policy that was restorative versus, you know, I used to be the SAC, the substance abuse counselor. And when a kid was tested positive for being under the influence in the building, they would go home for five days in suspension. So what, if you're smoking pot in school, like if you're smoking weed in school and you get five days off, what do you think they're going to They're not doing their math homework, you know? <laughs> So our policy, we shifted to a restorative policy where those students and, and any other infractions, there still was a consequence. You know, what often people misconstrue here is that, oh, these kids have been through such hard things. And now all of a sudden there's no consequences for anything they do. No, there are consequences. But the consequences aren't punitive in the sense that we keep isolating kids or we keep you know, uh, marginalizing kids. So what we did was we did like an uh positive uh, discipline approach, the students had in-school suspension. And in that in-school suspension, Rodney would push in and he would run a group and do yoga and breath work with them. Teachers would push into that in-school suspension and give them academic supports because, you know, kids are out of school five days. Now they're missing academics. They could fall further behind. So we wrapped those supports around those kiddos. And that really transformed so many things um, as far as discipline and academics and even school attendance and graduation rates. And it was a combination of many things that were with that intention to address the mattering. Ultimately we weren't calling it. Mattering then. Yeah. That's what I was
0: going to say. It, it all comes back to the mattering because when you kick them out of school, you say, you don't matter to this school. We're better off without you. But That's right. when you bring them in and teach them some skills and spend some time with them, they matter.
1: That's
2: right.
0: Yeah.
1: That's right. So yeah. we got to learn a little bit more about uh, restorative practices from, Another friend of yours, Ashanti Jones, was on a podcast not long ago. So, and she was also at our DEIB summit in in New York. Um, But I actually found her because I was watching some of your um, um, there were some webinars that you were doing during the pandemic, and I was watching one, and and she was on it as well. And that's how I heard from her. So, I mean, you've really connected us in so many different ways to some people. I mean, really and that's, I think that's obviously your gift. So, you know, I'm, and I'm happy that we can share your gift through our podcast even further. So thank you so much, so much. much. Now where, um, where can people find your community? Is there a website? Is there an email address?
2: Yeah. So my website is my full name, uh, so www.alishadilorenzo.com, alishadelorenz com And on uh, the website, on the front page of the website, it'll say, be here, be you, be long, be well. And then it'll say, join our community. And so that link right there uh, will get people into the questionnaire about what they're looking for in, in the community and will um, initiate the the uh, call for us to discuss their goals and get them access for their, uh, employees.
0: Nice. Oh, that's terrific. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And it was a pleasure to see you again. And Jamie, we were talking right before the show about how much you and I enjoy watching her social media.
1: Oh and yeah. Oh yes. yeah. Your social media is we, fantastic. We're trying yes. to get to your level. So we are, we are. out. On oh my Instagram. goodness. Well, it's
2: not me. It's not me. I thankfully I have the support and knew that I needed support in that area. So I have a uh, wonderful folks on my team, uh current media company who I know you connected with Ty, uh, who is phenomenal and, uh, he, keeps oh, me- he is He's looking good. Yes. So <laughs> and getting the word out. I want to thank both of you for, you know, highlighting the conversations that need to be had and, you know, creating the brave spaces for people to explore topics that we sometimes shy away from. And so I really appreciate you both for the work that you're doing and the intentionality behind, um, you know, moving the needle uh, on some of these big conversations that ultimately uh, impact people's sense of mattering in the world. And if each one of us does our part, you know, we uh, eventually, I hope, we'll find ourselves in a very different place where people feel seen and heard and valued and like they matter. So thank yes. you for all the work that you're doing and for the invitation to uh, be able to join you in that journey.
1: Wonderful. Thank yeah. you. Thank, thank you, you so much. And people like you make it easy for us. So yes, it's, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing.
0: Thank you for listening. And if you would like to stay linked up, Be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube.